pray, P-R-A-Y, as a means of establishing a rhythm and a habit of prayer. And, and, and the, the acronym stands for pause, which we talked about last week, rejoice, which we talked, we're going to talk about this morning, and then finally, ask and yield. Pause, rejoice, ask and yield. And what I'm going to suggest is at the end of this series, if you begin to work this into the rhythm of your life, that I'm going to suggest to you that every single day that you go to engage in your place of prayer, you should incorporate all four of these elements. Pause, rejoice, ask and yield. And even if that means that you give three minutes for each of those elements, well, then you've started out with a good solid 12 minutes of prayer, either at the beginning of the week or the beginning of the month or the beginning of your day, however you choose to begin to work this rhythm into your life. And I hope that you see that they give themselves over to allowing you to grow and expand from that place on. So last week we talked about the importance of pausing because what we're saying is prayer is not a utility. Prayer is a means of intimacy. So we pray because God loves us and he offers us himself. We pray because that's the means through which we actually cultivate a real relationship with God and in which we speak to him about the joys and the grievances and the chaos of our lives and we take time to establish a rhythm in which we listen to him as he replies and as he leads us and as he begins to be the, 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 the central point of our lives, not necessarily the genie that immediately fixes everything, but the one, the, the good father who is there in the midst of everything. Um, I don't need him to be a magician and fix everything in my life, but I desperately need him to be in the center of it. And so that is why we pray, not as a utility to fix ourselves and to fix our lives, even though sometimes that's going to happen. God will, God will move on our character. God will move in our circumstances. But that is not the first and primary reason why we pray. We pray because we want to pause and cultivate a relationship with God. We don't just want to have a marriage and then go on in isolation. That would be silly and unsatisfactory. And, uh, uh, or a wedding and then go on in separate lives. It's great that you can remember the birth, your spiritual birth date, but I'm more concerned not with your spiritual birth date 30 years ago, but whether or not you took time to walk with God yesterday. That's what I'm concerned with. That should be the preoccupation of our life. So we pause, and today we're going to talk about rejoicing. You have to take time to rejoice. And if you look at the Lord's Prayer, this kind of moment to take time to rejoice uh, in the presence of God and because of who he is, is worked into the prayer that Jesus gave us. It begins with, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's a moment where we pause, we reflect on the reality of who God is, and in light of who God is, we reflect on who we are. So when I talk about joy, I'm not talking about positive thinking. I'm not talking about happiness. I am not talking primarily about emotions. However, I think it's foolish to talk about joy divorced from emotion. To me, that's just an excuse to not really have joy, but to pretend that you do. 
because joy should move you because all of your joyful moments move you. All of your joyful moments move us to worship. We don't have to be taught worship. We already do worship. The only difference in the, in, in the passion of our worship doesn't lie in our interest in being worshiping people. It lies in, whether, in, in, in how much worth we put into that thing which we worship. But if you meet two people in love, they talk about one another all the time. It's obnoxious. If you go to a football game, you will see a form of worship being expressed, but no one has to be instructed, okay, the way to properly act at a football game is that when your team does good, you clap. If you really want to cheer your team on and encourage them, you yell. No one has to have a manual to be taught that. It's baffling to me that people say, I need to be taught how to worship. No, you don't. You just need to love better. Because when our love for God grows, worship is a spontaneous expression of that, just like everything else. If you're into bass fishing, then when I sit down to have a Reuben with you, you and I ask you about bass, bass fishing, you will come alive. You'll talk about lures and you'll talk about strategies and you'll talk about what's best bait to use in the fall as opposed to spring, etc., etc. The same is true if you're into motorcycles or whatever your thing is. We naturally express joyfully that thing which we value. For some of us, it might be our kids. For some of us, it might be a hobby. For some of us, it might be an MMA fighter, which I used to be, but I try to distance myself because of the lifestyle connection in my mind. I've just got to be free of that. Um, but whatever it is, you know you have that thing. That thing that if I ask you about it, I don't have to teach you to convince me that you're enthusiastic about it. It flows from your gut, from the depths of who you are. And my suggestion is this. If we don't feel that way about God, then we need to drop to our knees and ask the Holy Spirit to revive us. That is how you learn to worship well. You return to your first love. You fall in love again. After that, you won't need instructions on why someone might raise their hand, maybe get excited and dance a little bit, maybe sing a little louder and out of pitch. It will make perfect sense to you if you've ever been in love or passionate about something. And I am just suggesting that our prayer life should help us cultivate that same sort of posture and attitude toward God. That's why when we say have joy, we're not saying simply you have to feel differently. We're saying put the value on God that he's worthy of, and that will elicit the joy and worship from your heart. That's why it seems odd to me when scriptures seem to command an emotion, but that's exactly what Paul seems to do in Philippians 4. What does he say in Philippians 4, 4 through 5? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Now, we're going to take a few moments to meditate on that verse. But what I want to do is, from that verse, is I want to share with you the big idea this morning. Joy is the fruit of intentionally acknowledging and enjoying the presence of God. Joy is the fruit of intentionally acknowledging and enjoying the presence of God. This is a critical skill for any kind of healthy spirituality because this is what keeps your spirituality relational and not legalistic. But if I don't take time to be intentional 
about acknowledging and enjoying the presence of God, then joy will be something that I manufacture either through trying to manipulate my emotions or by living off the afterglow of other lesser passions in my life. And so, if I want to be free of that, then what I have to do is prioritize that relational intimacy with God in the same way that I cannot be married for 30 years, walk down the aisle and say, we're done with dates and conversations. That would not make for a healthy marriage. And sometimes kids and lives and jobs get so busy that I have to, what used to be spontaneous for me has to be intentional and planned. And I have to work to make sure those moments of conversation, connection, and dates actually happen in order to continue to cultivate a healthy marriage. It's the same way with our relationship with God. Sure, there are seasons where it's so easy and it comes natural and your passions are high, but then there are other seasons where life and busyness and your own self-doubt and fear and stress begins to get in the way to cry, crowd out that priority. We have to maintain that priority of being willing to be intentional. So my question to you this morning is simply this, is your soul awake to the presence of God? That is way more an important question for me than to ask, did you ever pray to receive Christ as your savior? Most of us in the Bible Belt have had an opportunity to do that. But honestly, for me personally, that is meaningless if today my soul is not awakened to the presence of God. That's the important question. Is your soul awakened to the presence of God? The first order of a healthy spiritual life is learning how to be mindful and responsive to the presence of the divine who has made your soul his resting place. How did Paul say it? The mystery of the ages is Christ in you. Not Christ in heaven, not Christ in a church, not Christ in a book, but Christ in you. Is your soul awakened to the presence of God? And do you intentionally cultivate a rhythm of life that allows you to, as we sang before, keep your gaze on the face of Christ? That's the question we wrestle with. And so we go to Paul and he says to us, you must rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Now, when you are present and you're expressing your graciousness, how is the Lord near? Well, of course we can say he's near metaphysically, but he's also here tangibly because you're here. And that's your job. You are carriers of the presence wherever you go. And I'm not suggesting that those of you who are good are carriers and those of you who are either less mature or a little naughty, you're not carriers of the present. No, that's what I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying you are all carriers of the presence. It's just a question or a matter of whether or not you're mindful of that reality or not. Are you aware? 
And the more aware and mindful you are, the more you proactively partner with what the Holy Spirit is doing all the time, all around you, and the more this life of faith becomes an actual adventure that can direct and be meaningful to your life rather than just a ritual that is an add-on to our other pursuits. In this, in this verse, this word um, to rejoice if we look into the Greek lexicon, it says properly, this means to delight in God's grace. Literally, to experience God's grace or his favor and be conscious for his grace. Look at that summary. We'll summarize it this way. To rejoice is to experience God's favor and to be conscious of his grace. It doesn't mean that you have it all together. It means that I feel pretty joyful today because I know that he's given me an attaboy because I've been doing good. That's not what I mean. The just kind of joy that I'm talking about is beyond our performance and our behavior and it's rooted in our experience of his favor and a conscious experience of his grace. And so I would submit to you that our biggest problems with prayer is a problem with God. Because if you are not praying to a God who favors you and has poured his grace upon you, you are going to hide part of your soul from him. Most of us, if we are not conscious about it, we are drawing near to a God who mostly disapproves of us. We can't start there. You will never know intimacy if that is your view of God. You have to experience an encounter and take time to revel in his favor. Sometimes I'm arrogant enough to, in the pattern of the psalmist, to take a moment and to remind myself, Artie, you are his favorite. You are living under his favor. Now, I do have enough humility to admit that he can have other favorites other than me. But I'm not there to tend to the ill health of your soul, but rather the ill health of mine. And that allows me to step into that place and to remind myself that I am not striving to please a displeased God. I am trying to understand what it means to rest in a God who's chosen to look favorably upon me even though I might not deserve that favor. And so, so we posture ourselves. We posture ourselves to experience God's favor and to be conscious of his grace. That's why our big idea this morning is that joy is the fruit of intentionally acknowledging and enjoying the presence of God. I don't know if you're familiar with George MacDonald, and uh, if you type him in on the internet, there will be somebody who's written an article about parts of his theology that they just don't like. And that's fine. Maybe you don't like it either, but... Um, Whatever agreements and disagreements I have with theology, when I read George MacDonald, I am reminded of how much I'm loved by God. And he wrote a, a book of poetry called Diary of an Old Soul when he was um, later in life. And he writes these lines. Who, he who would be born again indeed must wake his soul unnumbered times a day 
and urge himself to life with holy greed. I love it. What George MacDonald is suggesting is that you should be a glutton for the grace of God. Have a holy greed that drives you to do whatever it takes to awaken your soul. Well, amen. 1048. Really, that's the only point I wanted to make this morning. That's really what I want you to wrestle with. That's really what I want you to think about. Because what I am suggesting is that as a community, we pursue a spirituality that's not necessarily the kind that every community pursues. But for Christ's community church, we are called to be the fellowship of the burning heart. We are not called to just have answers to the spiritual mysteries of life. We're called to be men and women who walk with God in humility and pursue the values of his heart. And therefore, part of the kind of discipleship we are seeking to train and cultivate in one another is one that prioritizes living in conscious awareness and enjoyment of the presence of God. So, the rest of the sermon is gravy. What I would like to do is then ask us a question. If this is the point that we're pondering this morning, then the question as we begin our slow descent to land the plane is this. How can I become more intentional about acknowledging and enjoying the presence of God? So glad you thought to ask. I thought we might get out too early. Okay. How do I do this? Well, there are about five practices that I want to share with you this morning and suggest that you give a try. I'm not saying you have to do all five practices. I'm not saying if you do three but not five, you're less spiritual than those who do five. In fact, you might just do one, and that's great with me. But here are some ways that you can practically be intentional. These aren't the only ways. There are many other ways, and I would love to sit and learn from you and hear your ways. But here are some ways you could begin to pursue in order to become more intentional about acknowledging and enjoying the presence of God. Number one, we've talked about this a few weeks ago. Pray the Psalms. Pray the Psalms. The Psalm is the prayer book of the Bible. When, G when we read those stories about Jesus praying all night long, Part of the time, what he was doing is he was reciting the Psalms. In fact, in his darkest moment on the cross, when he, when he, when he, when he, when he yells out that, that famous phrase, the Eli, 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 my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is not a spontaneous cry of despair. He's reciting a Psalm. So Jesus is even liturgically praying the psalms while he's on the cross experiencing the slipping away of his life. Now, if Jesus prioritized that, I would suggest that followers of Jesus ought to prioritize that as well. And I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but that's what I've deduced. 
So pray the Psalms. What do you mean pray the Psalms? Well, you could go back to the sermon a few weeks ago and, and, and look at that. We actually did that at the end of service, uh, not a few weeks ago, I think a few months ago. But here are some ways you can pray the Psalm. Number one, you can personalize them or you read them in third person. So for example, man, I forgot to bring my Bible up here. Let's see if I can do this from memory. Um, for example, whenever you pray, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You, you are not simply reading the words of David, but you're taking a moment to make those words your own. Now, I'm gonna share with you something very simple. In fact, I was thinking about it this week. And I learned this from Bud and Pam Webb's daughter because she shared it in the youth group one night several, several years ago when we were in their living room and we were talking about our own paths of spiritual growth. And she shared this idea with us and several of us, youth and leaders included, began to practice this. Now, I will admit, I think it's a good idea, but I always feel a little silly whenever I start to engage with this particular expression. Um, so if you feel silly doing it, it's okay. I and mean, that's kind of normal. It's, we got to get comfortable with the full gamut of our emotions before the presence of the Almighty. Uh, however, I have found that in moments, it speaks, I, I don't know to my heart, but it somehow bypasses some sort of obstacle in my mind and allows me to enter into the truth more fully. So I will read the Psalms in third person. I really hope no one ever listens in. I sound like a crazy man. But instead of the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I step back and say, the Lord is already shepherd. He has everything he needs. Now, I'm going to show you in just a minute. I really think that this technique is modeled in the Psalms themselves because what you will see in the Psalms oftentimes is the one praying will simply be speaking truth to their soul. I am convinced that for Artie Favre, A high percentage of my issues in life flow from the fact that I listen to myself rather than speak to myself. And so one of the things I constantly strive to do is to enter into the habit, not of just passively listening to myself, because this stream of consciousness, it does not turn off. It doesn't have an off switch. Sometimes it feel, I feel like I'm going mad because I can't get it to stop. So I finally stopped techniques of trying to get it to stop and instead chosen the technique of starting to speak into it. I don't have to passively listen to myself all the time. I can actually take moments where I take a little control of my life and I proactively speak to myself. So I might go to Psalm 139 and say that um, there's nowhere that Artie can go from his spirit. There's nowhere he can flee. Artie is fearfully and wonderfully made and deep down his soul knows it very well so you can kind of get the point you can do this with any psalm that you like personalize them or read them in third person like i said you might feel a little silly at first just try it no one else is going to be there i mean i'm not suggesting you do this at your cubicle at work take some time this is why jesus says you might want to shut the door when you go to your prayer room uh David reminded us that this morning. It, it shut the door not because there's anything spiritual, but if you're going to have real prayer, you're going to be looking like a crazy person sometimes. You're going to be looking like a two-year-old throwing a tantrum sometimes, and you're going to look like a teenager in love weeping sometimes. And that is normal and should be expected. That's why when we're talking about how to pray, I'm talking about 
cultivating something that's very private and intimate to you. And so we read them in third person. Or uh, <laughs> this may a little be weird to you too. You recite them as monologue or soliloquy. I th this one I thought when I first heard it seemed a little silly, but I read it because uh, there was some point in my life that I was really into reading uh, Christian biographies and particularly diaries of, of missionaries like David Brainerd and Jonathan Edwards and, and John Wesley and George Mueller. Uh, there was just a time where I just devoured Charles Finney, uh, who was a heretic, but he really loved God. Um, so, so I learned a lot from reading these biographies. And one of the things that you would see come up again is this idea where they would go off by themselves and they would begin to reciting prayers or psalms as though they were offering a monologue or a soliloquy in prayer. And I think the reason why they did that is this, is that we recognize, you know, the right hemisphere of the brain is just as much a God-given gift as the left hemisphere of the brain. I'm all for the left hemisphere. I love logic. I love reasoning. I love ideas. I love reading. But sometimes you need to bypass all of that and tap into something that actually moves your emotions. And for that, God has given us creativity, expression, and imagination. And what they would do whenever they would enter into these soliloquies or monologues, it's praying with your whole body, even your imagination. It's inserting yourself into the text and then really owning it as if you're the character, his or herself, and expressing the reality of this prayer from your heart. And somewhere in that, it is not pretend. Somewhere in that, the Holy Spirit bypasses that left hemisphere, awakens something on the right hemisphere of the brain, and we actually feel emotionally connected to what we're praying and what we're doing, and to the God to whom we're interacting with. So, again, you might want to be by yourself, but pick up a psalm, pick up a passage, and then speak it, recite it as a monologue or a soliloquy. Or as we modeled a few months ago, just use them as guides to direct spontaneous prayer. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and I feel a lot of want today, God. I'm having a hard time trusting that you are a shepherd to the extent that you can, you're concerned about the details of my life. However, this is the testimony that I have been given. So I choose to believe this today. Here is where my soul or my body or my marriage or my relationships or my finances are in fact experiencing want. Here's where I need your grace to show up. So you, you use them as guides, and then you, you create spontaneous dialogue with the Lord. Secondly, you can pray the liturgy. Just practice it. Just start with five minutes. Where do I begin? Oh, I'm glad you asked. We have a booklet out there for free. You can go pick it up, and, you can, and, and I can even send you a digital version of it so it's on your phone. But, but just listen. Just, just take a moment and recite the opening prayers of the liturgy with me. Either, you don't have to do it out loud, just in your heart. Let's take a moment to taste it. Here, I come before the presence of God. My, my, my mind is in chaos. Maybe I'm depressed. Maybe I'm happy. Maybe I'm afraid. Maybe I'm stressed. Whatever my emotional state, I take a moment. I pause. I quiet my soul. And I begin with these words. Father God, creator of heaven and earth, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God of Israel, God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, true and living God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have mercy and hear our prayer.
Oh, Lord, open our lips and our mouth shall proclaim your praise. Glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, God, make speed to save us. Oh, Lord, make haste to help us. Glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Hallelujah. With those opening prayers, my emotional state drifts to the background, and I'm speaking truth to my soul, and I'm praying truth that first comes from my mind because I'm reading it, but because I make the choice, I'm not just going to read liturgy, I'm going to pray liturgy. So it takes that little trip down from my mind to my heart, and all of a sudden, I don't know who wrote that prayer, but what I know is it becomes Artie's prayer in that moment. And I feel this deep connection. And all of a sudden, my mind is elevated. I'm reminded of the grandeur of the God that I serve. And what did we sing earlier? It's amazing how the things of earth start to go dim in that light. But they don't grow dim when they're the focus of my mind and heart. I suggested this before, but I'll suggest it again. Create a pray playlist. If you haven't done this by now, shame on you. Because I've said it so many times, and we're not a shame church, we're all grace, but shame on you. Create a freaking playlist. You, whatever you want to do, use sacred music. I love sacred music. I love Gregorian chant. It's a little weird sometimes when people come over unannounced, and that's what's playing through the sound system. I used to have a hooded robe that I wore while I had my chant, but I've grown out of that phase. That's a true story. It became my um, Halloween costume a few years after I quit using it privately. But even that, I know it's theatrical, I know it's a little silly, but for the time, there was something when I put on that monk habit that I just felt what it must have been like to live a life dedicated only to the service of God. And I'd put that stupid thing on and I would play Gregorian chant and I would be elevated away from this plane to somewhere else. And I loved it. And I still love it. So play choral music if you, if you want it. Sample sacred music. That's fine. You don't have to do that. Do contemporary music. This morning was a whirlwind of activity. And there were some things I neglected to remember the, during the week that I needed to take care of this morning. I was rushed. But I couldn't rush the drive from Long Grove to Ardmore because I would get a ticket, as I have many times before. And so, what did I do? I went to Old Faithful, Vintage by Shane and Shane. All I had to do was play Draw Me Close to You. And I think the song after that is Knowing You. And all of a sudden, my heart, my mind moves to a different focus. It moves to a different place. That might not be your jam. You may be annoyed by Shane and Shane. You don't have to use them, but you do have to know what moves you. Create that playlist or any music that moves you. I'll be honest, this may seem a little silly and might be going too far, 
But when it's time for real prayer where you're going to war because you're just losing, I don't play sacred music. I don't play Shane and Shane. I have a playlist that says aggressive rap beats. I put that thing on. Sometimes I play it when I'm working out, but I also play it when I'm interceding because there's something about that music that reminds me this isn't casual. I'm fighting for my soul. I'm fighting for the soul of my marriage. I'm fighting for the soul of my children, and this is not casual business. I don't do that every day. I don't pray like that all the time, but there are moments when that's appropriate, and the playlist I try to allow to reflect the atmosphere of the prayer in which I am engaging. Create a playlist. The fourth suggestion, though, is simply this. I'm spoken to you this morning from an INFP, Enneagram 9, high on the feeler, low on the judgment. And that probably comes across. So I know there are some of you that are contemplating visiting another church next week after hearing how insane my emotional life is. And I understand that. But what I'm saying is, I'm just trying to be vulnerable with what's me. I don't know what moves you, but you do. And if you don't, you're really responsible to find out. You need to take some time to get to know yourself. Whatever moves you, express yourself to your God. Here's a great question. When was the last time you felt close to God? And it doesn't have to be in church. When was the last time you felt close to God? And then as you ponder that, you take that, maybe you take your journal and you write about it, and then you follow up with this question, were there any elements like the place or the sounds or the activity that you can repeat or experiment with? Because you might say, I was so frustrated because there are some people that seem to be so moved during uh, listening to Shane and Shane and I just feel numb. And so I don't really remember feeling close to God when listening to Shane, Shane and Shane. But I remember that day, I was just so frustrated and I just went on a hike. And I just stood there in the Arbuckle Hills, looked at the top of the cedar trees. And all of a sudden, I felt small and I was reminded that God has surrounded me and he has encompassed me in his presence. Okay, well then I would say, Forget about Shane and Shane and go invest in some good hiking boots. Get up there more often and glut yourself on the presence of God. So whatever it is, when's the last time you felt close to God? What were the elements in place? It might not have been that at all. It might have been because there was a bottle of wine and good food and good friends around and you just felt the intimacy of the Spirit. Okay, go do more of that. But whatever it is, find out what moves your heart, what moves your soul, and make that part of the rhythm of your life as though your soul depends on it, because it does. The point is to strive to pray with the God-given right hemisphere of your brain that will tap into your creativity and, yes, your emotions. And if you want to get nerdy about it, those who you are into self-help and mental health, if you do this regularly, it's also going to create healthy neural pathways in your brain that are brand new so that you can start living beyond the old scripts of your life and start inserting a new script into your life. 
And finally, I put this in, took it out, because I don't want to be misunderstood and mislabeled, but tack with it. This is a good practice, and you should press into it. Confess and declare God's favor, goodness, and promises to you. Confess and declare God's favor, goodness, and promises to you. This is where we're taking our cue from the psalmist. Look at what David does in Psalm 103. He speaks to himself, My soul, bless the Lord. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Soul, bless the Lord. And do not forget all his benefits. We've already established I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I would submit to you the reason why the psalmist tells his soul to not forget the benefits of the Lord is because his soul is prone to forget the benefits of the Lord. And in that, he and I are the same because my soul is prone to forget those things as well. And so one of the ways I combat that apathy and ignorance and unmindfulness is I take time to make these declarations. Here are a few that I use. God is for me. I am so quick to forget that, that I have to remind myself through speaking out loud and making that faith declaration. God is for me. Christ dwells in me. I don't have to go anywhere beyond the borders of my own heart to find God. Why? Because according to the scripture and confirmed by my experience, for reasons beyond me, the divine has chosen to make his dwelling place in me. In Christ, I have all the wisdom I need to face any situation coming my way. Now, this one's a good one for me. I woke up at 3 a.m. this morning filled with anxiety and fear because I am facing a situation I don't want to face. I want God to wave the magic wand and make it disappear. I don't want to face it because it brings up my intimidation, my incompetency, my foolishness, all of that's wrapped in to some extent to the fruit of the situation I'm having to face. I contributed to it. I knowingly contributed to it. And I hate myself for it, and I hate the situation. I don't want to face it. And because it's rooted in my incompetency, I don't have a lot of faith that I have what it takes to actually even address the situation. But then I remember the divine has made his dwelling place in me. Christ in me is the hope of glory, and in Christ is all the wisdom that I need. And I say, soul, calm down. Sit down, be quiet, listen for him. It's not even a spiritual situation directly, but as a follower of Jesus, all my situations are spiritual. And so I speak to my soul. I had to remind myself, Christ is in me and he is all the wisdom that I need. And then this beautiful confession, I am never forsaken. Would you all stand with me as the worship team comes forward? What I would like for us to do 
and I didn't think to check. Were we able to get the Magnificat in the overhead? Said, oh, good, great, there it is. Let's practice this together. This is the Magnificat, and here's what we're going to do. This is the spontaneous prayer of worship and praise that Mary uttered when she found out that she was carrying the Messiah. So my left brain says, Let's do Bible study. This is about the incarnation and the miracle that God came to a human being, overshadowed her, and, and, and allowed the uh, divine, the author of life, to become an embryo, which is an idea I can't hardly wrap my head around. All of that's true, but what I'm doing now is, you know what? Obviously, I have never carried a child. Sometimes it's looked like that from time to time, but I've never carried a child. I don't intend to. And I certainly don't think I'm going to carry the Messiah, but you know what? The Spirit has birthed things in my heart. He has put his desires, his ideas right here in my soul, and sometimes I've cultivated those while the Spirit allowed them to grow and to gestate until one day they were manifested or brought forth in my own life. So I understand what Mary's talking about because I understand what it means for God to be better to you than you ever thought he would be and allow something to come forth from your life that is beautiful and eternal. Therefore, I can make Mary's prayer my own. So, as a combination of what we've been talking about and as one of my favorite faith declarations, then let's recite and declare the Magnificat together. And Mary said... My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is Holy. Amen. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, he broke the bread and he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. He then poured the wine and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink in remembrance of me.